It's Living on Earth. I'm Steve Kerwood. For years, there's been talk of a tax on carbon pollution as a way to fight global warming. But it's gotten little traction until recently, when both conservative and liberal economists have argued that a carbon tax could help cut the federal deficit and keep other taxes low. Joining us to discuss all this is Harvard economist Joe Aldi, a former aide to President Obama. Welcome to Living on Earth. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. Professor Aldi, we asked you to come in because there seems to be all this excitement now in Washington about the prospect of a carbon tax. There have been a series of meetings, and recently there was a standing room only meeting at the American Enterprise Institute, which is known for being fairly conservative and skeptical of the whole notion of dealing with climate issues. Why is Washington suddenly so interested in a carbon tax? Well, I think there's a couple of reasons why Washington is interested in a carbon tax. One is that if you paired it with uh, reducing tax rates, you could actually make our tax system more efficient. I think also it's just a function of the math, that when you look at the alternatives to raising revenues or cutting spending in the tax and fiscal reform debate, there are a lot of actually not very palatable alternatives. And all of a sudden, the carbon tax looks more appealing when you compare it in magnitude, say, to letting the payroll tax increase by 2%. People have talked about the reduction in spending on defense and on entitlements. It's also on par in terms of the home mortgage interest deduction, which some people say if we got rid of the home mortgage interest deduction, that would help close the budget deficit and deal with our long-term debt problems. None of those are easy options. And I think when you look at the potential revenue that a carbon tax can raise, that looks more appealing than having to go down some of these other avenues. So explain to us the concept of a carbon tax. How would this work? So the basic idea of a carbon tax is to say that all the sources of carbon dioxide, uh, the most important greenhouse gas, uh, would actually have to bear the cost that they impose on the global environment. So you would actually impose a tax for every uh, ton of carbon dioxide that's emitted when we burn a ton of coal, we burn natural gas, or we burn oil and petroleum products. So where in the world has a carbon tax uh, been used so far? So we've seen it in a number of places. A number of uh, northern European countries have actually had a carbon tax on the books and in place dating back to the early 1990s. So Sweden, Finland, Norway, and Denmark have all had carbon taxes in their uh, energy system. Some of the carbon taxes uh, range anywhere from $20 to $100 a ton of CO2, uh, which are actually quite meaningful and I think in some cases larger than what we would consider here in the United States. I think most relevant when we think about it in the context of the current fiscal environment is what British Columbia implemented in 2008. The province of British Columbia imposed a carbon tax and they used all the revenues to reduce existing household taxes on, uh, for family income and business taxes, about a 50-50 split between families and businesses. They've ramped the tax up. It's now $30 a ton of CO2. So they set at the beginning a schedule where the price would increase over time. But every year they take all the revenues They don't increase the size of the government. They're actually saying, we're going to reduce the taxes that families and businesses pay. And it's had a pro-growth impact. And I think that's one of the important things when we think about this in fiscal reform, is that by raising the revenues in a carbon tax, by putting a tax on something bad like pollution, we can reduce taxes on things that are good, like the income that families earn and the income that, that businesses earn. So how successful has the carbon tax been in places like British Columbia? 
Well, you've actually seen their emissions go down. You've seen their consumption of uh, petroleum actually go down relative to other parts of Canada. Even if the price starts out modest at the beginning, if you show the schedule of how the price will increase over time, when businesses are making investments, when a family's thinking about buying a new car or buying a new home, they can take this into account in their planning, and that means they'll make sort of prudent investments in the energy efficiency or in alternative energy sources that help reduce their emissions over time. Professor Alda, you're an economist, so help us with some math here. How could a carbon tax help reduce this enormous deficit we have? So I was at this conference in Washington that discussed a carbon tax, and the kind of magnitude of a carbon tax that was commonly uh, raised is on the order of about $100 billion or $150 billion a year. This would be associated with a tax that would increase the price of gasoline, maybe 15 cents a gallon. So it's something people would actually see. But if you actually raise the tax on the order of 100 to $150 billion over a year, over a decade, that's more than a trillion dollars. When you look at the kinds of proposals on the table to reduce taxes, to shore up the long-term deficit outlook, having a trillion-dollar piece of the pie there, if you will, that helps make all the math add up is going to be really important. Carbon tax would inevitably mean you know, higher price at the pump, uh, more expensive electricity. How are people going to come to accept this? Well, I think the important thing is that we're discussing a carbon tax in the context of what will be a very large tax and fiscal deal. And so when one says, well, look, I'm going to be paying a little bit more for gasoline or a little bit more for electricity, it may be in the context of a deal that also keeps uh, the income tax rates for the vast majority of Americans at the level we've enjoyed over the past decade. Whereas if we don't do anything, they go up on January 1. So it's recognizing that there are going to be these trade-offs, and a lot of people will find that on net they'll be better off if they face lower rates of tax on their income, even if that means they pay a little bit more for the uh, more emission-intensive, energy-intensive uh, consumption they undertake. Some folks will say, though, this is a regressive tax, especially for very poor people who wouldn't have the benefits of other reduced tax rates. If you don't pay tax already and the price of gasoline goes up because of the carbon tax, it hurts you. How, how do you address that? Well, I, I think you know, there are a number of ways in which one can try to mitigate these concerns. I'll note that in 2009, several Republicans in the House introduced a carbon tax bill, one of whom was actually uh, recently elected to be uh, the junior senator from Arizona, uh, Jeff Flake. In that bill, they were concerned about the impacts of a carbon tax on the elderly, on people who collected Social Security. So cutting the payroll tax doesn't really benefit you if you're retired they actually would take some of the revenues from their carbon tax and increase the benefits that would be paid out to Social Security. And what about somebody who's living from paycheck to paycheck, uh, you know, a young person who's got a very low-income job, maybe working in a fast-food restaurant, needs to put gas in that car to get to that job. He's not going to get Social Security, doesn't even need to pay taxes. All he sees is the price going up. Well, well, let's be clear, though, that that person who's working a uh, minimum wage may not be paying income taxes, but that person is paying payroll taxes. One could actually look at using a carbon tax in part to reduce the tax on labor, which a lot of economists would say, hey, that would actually be good for jobs. It'd be good for the economy if we reduce the taxes on labor. And so even if you're not paying income taxes every April, you're paying with every paycheck, your employer is withholding your payroll tax. So there's a way in which you can actually help out even those individuals uh, by the way you take the carbon tax revenues and bring them back into the economy. Takes a long time to get things done in Washington. I'm guessing this doesn't happen in the lame duck session we're looking at over the next couple of weeks and the next few weeks. 
You know, it, it's one of these things where um, sometimes it, it takes a while for the impossible to actually become plausible and then becoming inevitable. Sometimes it happens very quickly. I'm probably not going to go to Vegas and bet on it happening in the lame duck, but it depends on how these uh, these talks evolve. I think it's probably more likely that we'll do a, a short-term fix in the lame duck, but we'll probably structure it in a way in which uh, we're going to see a bigger, longer-term, more robust agreement, hopefully in 2013. How much do you think Superstorm Sandy has affected the debate on the carbon tax? You know, it's, uh, it's interesting. When I uh, talked to a friend about some of the images we saw from New York and New Jersey, he actually said, these pictures remind me of Bangladesh after a bad monsoon season. Like, just seeing this unbelievable amount of destruction, the destruction of the, of the roads and the bridges and the infrastructure and, and houses completely wiped out. And, and I think it's important to really say we know climate change can actually impose real damages to us here in the United States. And whether we think that Sandy was the function of climate change or not, we do know from the best science that's out there that storms like Sandy are going to become more common. Being able to say, wait, if we don't do anything about this, we're going to see more storms like Sandy. We're going to see more droughts like what we've been experiencing here in the United States in the last couple of years. I think that actually will create more interest for people to say, well, what can we do about this? You know, how can we take action? And being able to sort of identify some of the, the policy tools that are at our disposal, I think will encourage the public to say, you know what, let's try that idea. Let's see if we can actually do that, make a difference in terms of how we produce and consume our energy, and, and recognize we can do this in a way that's actually good for our economy. Joe Aldi is an economist who teaches at Kennedy School of Government at Harvard. Thanks so much for coming in, Joe. Thank you for having me. I've enjoyed it.